Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. Great to see you this morning. Welcome to Harvest KL. My name is Michael. I serve as one of the elders here. Um, just on, as a little bit of a, a, a teeny tiny announcement, um, uh, our family will be just going back to the States for a few weeks. And so just wanted to let you know, if you don't see us for a few weeks, it's we're coming back. I'm thankful for the the time of worship through singing and the time of worship through uh, hearing the word read and the worship through prayer uh, all emphasized just the the greatness of God, uh, how magnificent he is. This morning, we're in Isaiah chapter 40. If you're American, that's Isaiah. We, as a church, we went through uh, Isaiah 1 through 39, um, starting last year, and then we, we took a break, and so we, were, we just finished a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and so here we return to Isaiah, and we will uh, charge on through to the very end. Um, I love the book of Isaiah. I love chapter 40. It is uh, one of my favorite chapters in Isaiah, it's like in the top 66 of my favorite chapters of Isaiah. <laughs> I always feel weird saying like, this is my favorite chapter of Isaiah or the book of the Bible. You know, it just feels like it's all God's word and it's all better than, than my words. Today is Father's Day. And since it, this is not a Father's Day sermon, so I'm, if that's what you were expecting, I'm sorry. But here's a tiny little bit of Father's Dayness to it. Uh, let me give you two descriptions of a father. Tell me, tell me which description you like more. Okay, description number one: My father was former military, so discipline and order were very important to him. This meant I faced regular punishments when I was disobedient, and I was expected to develop a disciplined life. Okay, that's description one. Description two, my father was very tender and loving towards me. He liked to buy toys for me when I was little, especially when I was going through something difficult, like breaking my arm. I can also remember when he took me to university, he teared up, knowing our relationship was going to be different from that time. Okay, so description one or two? Description one? Description two? If we only hear limited facts, it can be easy to have a distorted image of a father. Description one sounded very serious and perhaps even loveless. Description two 
sounded loving, but perhaps a father who might spoil the child. It may come as no surprise that both of these descriptions are about my father. They're both true. If you combine the descriptions, then you can see how uh, you can see a fuller picture of who my father is. And you can see how just one of those descriptions may have distorted our view of who the father is. We do this all the time when we're thinking about who God is. Maybe you have a negative view of God because you've heard him only described as a God of wrath and judgment. Maybe you have little belief that God can do what he's promised because you've only heard about a God who is loving and forgiving. Or maybe God seems unknowable because you've only heard him described in lofty terms. So how do we fix our understanding of God? By reading and meditating on God's word where he's revealed himself to us. So this morning, I'm going to read Isaiah 40, and then we will walk through it together. It's a little bit of a longer chapter, but it's worth reading just all the way through. So uh, if you have it, uh, just, you know, read, read silently along as I read. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them, lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord 
or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, and they are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will, that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings the princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. When I was a kid, my sister was a good bit younger than, than me. She learned a very simple prayer to say before meals. I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know if it gets used in Malaysia much. Um, so she said this, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. It is always a little annoying because it doesn't quite rhyme. <laughs> Unless you say good and food or good and food. But who says that, right? Uh, she said this prayer for a long time. Um, but the, the thing about it is this, though it is simple, it has these two really 
amazing truths in it. God is great. God is good. And so in our study of Isaiah this morning, we're going to walk through it just like that. God is great. God is good. And then we will ponder what does this view of God have to do with us? God is great. Overall, we're going to walk through 20 characteristics of God we can find in in Isaiah 40, but I'll do it quickly. <laughs> like 20 points. Um, God is glorious. Verse 5 says, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This means then that God's nature is glorious. He only needs to reveal it to us. Most of us try and pretend we are better than we actually are. God is so glorious that we do not have the capacity to take it in except for the little doses in which he reveals his glory to us. God's word, number two, God's word is lasting and sure. Verse eight says, the word of our God will stand forever. It is God's word that can usher in creation by mere utterance. And the promises of God are the most trustworthy words we can find anywhere on the planet. Number three, God is mighty. Verse 10 says, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Verse 26 refers to the greatness of his might. God is all-powerful. The fancy word for that is omnipotent. He keeps the universe in motion, and there is no one who can rival his might. Number four, God is immeasurable. Verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with his span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balance? Let's just pause and think about measuring the heavens. The closest known galaxy, Canis Major Dwarf, I don't know how they came up with that name for a galaxy. The closest galaxy to ours is 25,000 light years away. For perspective, One light second is 300,000 kilometers, which means a light year is about 10 trillion kilometers. So Canis Major Dwarf is 25,000 light years away from us. That's the closest galaxy. The universe is just unimaginably vast. And here the Bible says God can measure it with his hand, like he's measuring a piece of cloth. Number five, God is all-knowing. Verse 14 says, whom did he consult and who made him understand? God is all-knowing. This means God does not need to use plumbing for dummies to fix a leak or watch a YouTube video to learn anything. God needs no counsel because he is the fount of all knowledge. 
Number six, God holds the nations in his hands. Verse 15 says the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Verse 17 says the nations are less than nothing and emptiness. Remember, Isaiah is writing to a people that are looking at an empire that appears unstoppable. And yet, the greatest empires in history are less than nothing. God can take up the coastlands like fine dust. Number seven, God is without comparison. Verse 18 says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? The nations around Israel would compare tribal gods with each other. And these were often represented by idols, supposedly representing these gods. How can the God who created everything be compared to these gods of human imagining? Verse 25 asks this question, to whom then will you compare me? Number eight, God is real. He is no idol. Verses 19 and 20 say this. It says that, that uh, Isaiah says that idols made by hand, it's, it's silliness. That they are handmade idols. The Lord could not be compared to these petty figurines who can't even move. Number nine, God is sovereign over all the earth. In verse 22, it says that it is he who sits above the circle of the earth as if it was a minor household chore. Sorry, I think I got mixed up there. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You guys are grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Again, we have imagery of God controlling the earth as if it were a minor household chore. Number 10, God rules over earthly rulers. Verse 23 gives an indication of this. Even the earthly rulers are not really in charge. Kings and presidents and prime ministers, they only have power because God allows it. Number 11, God is exacting. Verse 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God's power is not blunt, but precise. Look up and see the stars. You can't do it right now, but God didn't just create them and fling them across the universe. God has named them and tracks each and every one of them. Number 12, God is everlasting. Verse 28 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, God eternal, no beginning and no end. This can only be said about God. Number 13, God is creator. Verse 28, again, goes on to say that the creator of the ends of the earth, that God is the creator of the ends of the earth. Everything that exists in the universe other than God was created by God. Again, in verse 28, God is mystery. God's understanding is unsearchable. God is so beyond human understanding, we can't begin to understand him. Here we are working through this list of characteristics, and still we're at number 14, and still God is beyond our understanding. Number five, this is a little bit of a, a, a rarely used word. God is indefatigable. Try to say that five times fast. Verse 28 says, God does not faint or grow weary. All of these characteristics of God remain true a thousand years ago and a thousand years into the future. God does not weary in any way. He is God. He remains powerful. He remains all uh, sovereign and remains king. Almighty, all-knowing, incomparable, God is indeed great. Behold our God, seated on the throne. God is also good. As we examine the greatness of God, it's really important to understand that God is not only great, there are some that believe in a God who is great, but remains impersonal, aloof, disconnected from us. The Bible never describes God that way. God is always personal and always connected. Not only that, but God is always good. Isaiah 40 describes five ways in which we see a good God. One, God is a shepherd and God is gentle. This is one and two, actually. Verse 11 says this, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. After we went through this list of 15 characteristics of the greatness of God, God's power and strength and knowledge, I think it's just amazing to see this same God gathering lambs into his arms. God's not only creator, God is a gentle nurturer. It can only mean one thing that God, by his very nature, is love. Number three, God is just in his judgment. Verse 14 notes that God is committed to the path of justice. God's laws are never capricious, 
Rather, God longed for a world where everyone is concerned about justice. And this is because God is called the Holy One in verse 25. You might remember when we started studying Isaiah last year. When I say started studying last year, maybe you don't remember. One of the words, one of the titles for God throughout the book of Isaiah is the Holy One. Sometimes he's called the Holy One of Israel. Um, but this is so just so much a part of God's nature that he is righteous. We can only th- rightly think about God as holy. God's power is holy power. God's sovereignty is holy sovereignty. God's all-encompassing knowledge is holy all-encompassing knowledge. God is just and he is holy. God helps the tired and the weak in verse 29. God's holiness is never distant. God is personally concerned about people. In verse 29, he specifically cares about the tired and the weak. Isn't that amazing? I think it's cool. He cares so much about them that he gives them strength. So we've just gone through 20 characteristics of God. I would guess that if you take your time and walk through this passage, you would find more than these 20. This was the abridged version. You may not feel like that, but it was. So what does this have to do with us? Yeah, I believe it's worthwhile just to meditate on God's greatness and goodness. I think it's important for us also to consider how do we then relate to this God? It could be tempting to hear all of this great stuff about how amazing God is and think, I'm so glad God is like that. Now I can go do whatever I want. and go live our lives as we were. Our dreams and ambitions, they remain the same. But that does not account for a God who is holy. God does not wish for us to remain as we were, as we are. Rather, he desires that we live in such a different way, in a transformed way. It could also be tempting for us to see a God who is fighting for us and think, I need then to fight for God. God took time to love me while he is busy running the universe. Therefore, maybe I owe God. God has done all of this for me. I need to work to be worthy of all that God has done. But this misses a key element of this passage. I remind you, we are grasshoppers. We are like dust. We cannot possibly show ourselves to be worthy of all that God has done. 
the opening words of Isaiah 40 are, comfort, comfort, my people. Here are a people who are staring at a hostile power. And and God is not here promising that the next few years are going to go easy for his people. And in fact, chapter 39 is pretty clearly a promise that you will be overtaken by Babylon. But God is saying something different here, that there's something going on at a different level. Nations rise to power, and it seems like everything is under their thumb. But God says the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, they are specks of dust. God's people are facing defeat and exile, and yet the words that come out here are, comfort, comfort, my people. Isaiah begins to paint a picture of salvation put into play by God. Imagine a messenger. Imagine a messenger off in the distance. You see, you see this messenger running towards you, coming up over one hill, dipping down into a valley. You don't see him for a moment, and then he comes up over the next hill. He's got a message. The messenger is a herald of good news, and he says, Behold our God. He is mighty, and he's tending to his flock like a shepherd. We, we are grasshoppers. We are so small compared to this God that we just described. How can it be that he cares about us like a shepherd cares for the little lambs? I think it's important for us to look at verse 2. There's this little phrase here that says that her iniquity is pardoned. It's, it's a simple little phrase, and it's easy to miss. Her here refers to Jerusalem. Uh, throughout, uh, throughout Isaiah, I, Jerusalem is referred to as, as her, as a, as a female, I guess, as much as a city can be a female, or a male, for that matter. Uh, This simple phrase hints at something extraordinary that's happening, though, that her iniquity is pardoned. God's people have broken their relationship with God. The Bible says that we are all like the people of Jerusalem, that our iniquity runs so deep that we cannot remove it. We can't even manage it. But here in verse 2, it says that this iniquity is pardoned, is forgiven. This term that's used here, it's a very specific term, and it refers to blood sacrifice. The messenger has good news to impart because there has been 
a blood sacrifice that fully pardoned the iniquity of God's people. The beginning of the Gospel of John fills in the story for us a little bit. God came down to us, took on flesh, lived in a broken world, but lived differently in this broken world. Jesus, who was God, became for us a lamb. John 1 uh, describes John the Baptist, who came, it says, as a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And you can see it directly refers to Isaiah, this passage here in Isaiah. Jesus entered, oh, John the Baptist then saw Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus entered the world because God is concerned for justice. In truth, we are the ones who broke this justice, but Jesus took this punishment for us. So just like the stars in the heavens, we are all known by God. Not one is missed. This is our God. He took upon himself the death owed to us so that we might receive life from God. The chapter ends with, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So how do we behold our God? Four quick things, four quick things for us to put this into practice. No, believe, comfort, tell. No. This morning we looked at 20 extraordinary characteristics about an amazing God. It is worthwhile for us to read this, recognize this, meditate on this. Allow these realities of who God is and his glory to sit on us, to move deep within us. We need reminding that God is God. And we are like grasshoppers. Believe. The Bible invites us to do more than simply know these truths about God. God reveals himself to us through his word so that we might live as his people. The biblical word believe, it's not the same thing as knowing, although sometimes in English we treat it like that. Believing in the Bible means it, we match knowing with action. If God is God, then I must live differently. All other objects of my devotion must fade into the background. But here's the, here's the wrinkle in this. We can have a tendency to try to, try to believe rather than believe. We can believe our, in our efforts more than we actually believe in God's efforts. So this leads us to the next word, comfort. To believe in all who God is, is to believe in what he has done for those who believe. Jesus offered himself in exchange for us. 
so that when we stand before God, we don't stand before God alone. Jesus stands with us. In Jesus, our iniquity has been pardoned. Which leads us to this last point. Tell. Verse 9 shows this messenger that's coming to Jerusalem, this messenger of good news, this messenger of the gospel. This is actually the first place we see the word gospel appear in the Bible. This messenger of the gospel going to God's people, and then God's people are then told to go tell others of this good news. We do not have to live under the burden of our shame and our iniquity. Jesus has removed it. Know this truth. Believe this truth. Take comfort in this truth. And tell this truth to everyone you can. Will you pray with me? Almighty and glorious God, even to to confine who you are to these words is limiting. And so, Father, we ask that you would just expand our understanding of who you are that we would regularly fall to our knees before you. But moreover, that we would be your children. That we would live in relationship with you. That we would never, never grow numb from hearing of your majesty. And that we might tell others of your greatness, of your goodness, of the way that you in your infinite power and wisdom still descended to the earth to make a way for us to be saved. We thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.